The parable of the sower, the seed and the soils, in my mind really is just the parable of the soils. Uh, while the seed and the sower are important in this passage that we've been reading, the primary lesson that Christ is trying to teach his disciples really has to do with the soils. In speaking upon this text of scripture, Dr. Lawson has said that the human hearts under the ministry and influence of the word of God are the theme of this parable and this passage. He is wanting us to understand something of the heart's reaction to the planting of the gospel seed within the soul through the preaching of it in the world. We were talking a little bit a moment ago about the Reformation. And we tried to highlight very, very briefly that this book, which is in front of us, is the light of the world. Yes, Jesus Christ is the light of the world, but he has revealed himself through these pages. Without these words, without the book that is in your hand, without the, 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 the English translation you have before you, you wouldn't be able to understand what God has brought us into this world for, why we exist, and why the world exists as it exists. Why there is sin, why there is darkness, what happens after we die. The answers are found in this book. The light will be shed upon your questions when we come to this rule book, as you might call it, of faith and practice. Now, the way of just simply putting that is this Bible, this book which is in front of us, tells us what we should believe as well as what we should do with what we believe. It teaches us how we should live our lives from start to finish. In Matthew chapter 13, and the parable that we've just read is the first of seven kingdom parables. And I think as Christians, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that Jesus Christ is building his church. We have lost sight of the fact that he is building a kingdom. We are not building denominations. We are not building congregations. We are in the work of building a kingdom. It's not our kingdom. It's not our denomination's kingdom. It's not the kingdom of our nation. It is a heavenly kingdom here on earth. And it is built by the preaching of God's word. It is built by the scattering of the seed of the gospel through the ministry of the word and through individuals that have been called to preach publicly, just like I'm doing here tonight. But also, don't forget, you have been called. Maybe not to preach in the pulpit. Maybe not to open up your Bible throughout the week and to spend time in the study and to, to try to get your head wrapped around the, the difficulties of the original language and what it is that the, the original writers are trying to convey in the passage. You might not have to go through that aspect of the work, but you are still to be in some form of ministry. You are to go with that light of the gospel. You are to put your fluorescent jacket on and live the Christian life in the dark world that is around us. And the purpose for you doing so is that you might be seen in the darkness. And that might be something we shy away from because we don't want to be seen as though we're, we're presenting ourselves as the answer to every problem. But that is not the purpose of being seen as a Christian. The purpose of you being seen as a Christian in your workplace, amongst your family, amongst your friends that are still living in the darkness of their own sin, is that they might see the reflection of Jesus Christ in your life. And that is what happened at the Reformation. The light spread throughout the world. And the reason even though I didn't mention it in the little children's address, the reason we're talking about light and the reason I thought to bring it in even tonight is because one of the mottos of the Reformation is simply this, after darkness, light. They believed that while their world was living in darkness, while the gospel had been shrouded in mystery, while the church was compelled to, as it were, imprison the mind of their hearers with, with fanciful tales of what they thought the Bible was teaching, Martin Luther realized that this Bible frees us. 
and that the darkness that the church at that time was, was bringing into the world, that it could dissipate with the light of the word as it was preached and proclaimed in its simplicity. And as you come to this passage, which is before us, and we think about the simplicity of the preaching of the gospel, you might ask yourself a question, the question I asked myself whenever I came to the verses 10 and 11 in particular. We read there that the disciples came and they had the same question that I was thinking. Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answers and he gives a, a, a simple answer in one way, but it doesn't maybe give all the answers at the same time. He says, because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but unto them it is not given. Jesus Christ, right away, without making any apology for it, he makes a distinction here. There are two different types of people, and I'm telling a parable, a story that has a heavenly or a spiritual meaning thrown alongside an earthly story for the purpose of causing confusion to those that want nothing to do with me. But at the same time, in his, in his powerful way, he tells a parable, a picture, a story that while it causes confusion to the hearts of individuals that want nothing to do with him, the youngest child can come along. And they can see themselves in the pictures. They can see themselves in the story. They can put the pieces together because God tells the parables in simplicity. And the problem that is found here for many is that while there is a simple story here, it's too simple for some of you. You think to yourself, oh, well, that's a nice little tale. And you, you maybe don't just think that about the parables that Christ tells us in this book called the Bible. You might think about it with regards to the entire Bible. That's a nice little tale. A nice little story to tell the children. A nice thing to, to tell your nation if you're in any form of leadership to keep control over the people and the laity that are there. You might think nothing of this book that is in my hand and maybe even in your hand. You might be indifferent to it. I believe this parable that Christ tells and the explanation that comes alongside it, he is trying to show the people that there wasn't a problem with the parable. And there wasn't certainly a problem with the preacher on this occasion. Well, you might find problems with the one that's here tonight. There wasn't a problem with him. So if there's not a problem with the parable and there's not a problem with the preacher, let me ask what Calvin asked on this point. He says, consider where the fault lies and cease to ask where the problem is. How obscure soever, he goes on to say, the word may be, there is always sufficient light in it to convince the conscience of the ungodly. Now, maybe in a bit of a wordy way, what he is simply saying is that the reason there are individuals that sit in churches and the reason that there are individuals that sat at the ministry of Jesus Christ and had a baldy notion of what they were talking about is because it was a problem of their heart. The problem wasn't with the parable. The problem wasn't with the preacher. Christ is saying the problem is with the people. And you might say that's a bit bold coming for you in the pulpit. Bear in mind, most of my time is spent in the pew just like you. We are the problem when it comes to the ministry of the word. We don't take it in as we should. We don't understand it as we ought. Jesus Christ's word is clear for those that have a desire to hear. For those that have a desire to see him in it. For those that have opened up their heart to what is found and taught by the scriptures. But I wonder, are you like those individuals that Christ was dealing with whenever he says, to them it is not given? Because here tonight, just like many other times in the past, you've come out to church. You've got washed up. 
You put your shirt and tie on. You have your dress and your, your hat on. You come out with your Bible under your arm. And you've done this for years. But the gospel message has never really hit home to your heart. You know something about it in your mind. You know something about it in your head. But your heart has never truly been impacted. And you are still sitting in the house of God on the Sabbath day. Knowing full well that Jesus is God's son. That he died upon a cross. That he rose again three days later. That he's in heaven as we were talking about in our prayer earlier on. Praying for people just like you. One day he's coming back. But still you're sitting in Coleraine Free Presbyterian Church. As you've done for decades perhaps. And you're still unconverted. Still in darkness. Still living in sin. Tonight I want to, very quickly if possible, show you how you can die in your unconverted state. How to die unconverted. If you're not a sinner tonight, that is exactly how you are. You are unconverted. Verse 15, as we've highlighted at the very end part, he says that, Their eyes are dull, their ears have been closed, their hearts, they're shut or they're fat is the way that it's worded there, waxed gross. They don't understand. And this is all because they are not going to be converted. And they're not going to be healed. Because of the condition of their heart. Because of the state of their soul. Because they do not have eyes of faith to see. And I want you to see three things. Probably the word, wrong word to use whenever we come to them. I want you to understand three things from this passage tonight. You can die and go to hell unconverted by continuing to do three things that you've been doing your entire life thus far. The first thing is to keep your eyes shut. Shut your eyes and you will die unconverted. Shut your ears and you will die unconverted. Shut your heart to Christ and you will die unconverted. To be converted is really in its most simple way of trying to explain it to you is to be changed, to be transformed, to turn. And theologically speaking, it is the first activity of a newborn child in Christ. The first thing that we do once we've been regenerated, once we have been changed, is to be converted. It is the individual acting For the first time in a spiritual capacity. Doing something that we could not do naturally speaking. If you think about a little baby being born. Some of the older brothers and sisters here. Maybe you weren't there whenever your little brother or sister were being born. But mommy and daddy can tell you. As soon as that baby is born. What do we look out for? What do we listen out for? What do we want to hear? It is the baby crying. And just in a very similar way. But in a spiritual sense. All of heaven. And Christ himself. Whenever a soul is regenerated, he's listening. He's looking out for something. He is awaiting and heaven is anticipating the cry of the converted soul. Calling out to the God of heaven to come into their life. To change and to transform them. To cry out, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. Help me. Help me to walk with you. Help me to serve you. Help me to live every moment for you. Martin Lloyd-Jones has said that conversion, it is really two things mixed together. It is repentance and faith. And I think Jesus Christ here in the parable of uh, these soils is really talking about faith primarily. 
Repentance is the turning away from our sin. Faith is looking unto Jesus Christ. And we've been singing about all these things already tonight. But if you live a life where your eyes are shut to him, and you don't see the value of Jesus Christ to your soul, if your ears are shut to his voice, and if your heart is shut to the vitality of his life living in you, then you deserve to go to hell. And that has to be said from the very outset of this service. All of us deserve to go to hell. But if you continue as you are, if you continue in your Christ rejection, if you continue in rebellion, if you continue shutting your eyes to the gospel, shutting your ears to the preaching of the word, shutting your heart to Christ coming in, then there's no point in me beating about the bush here this evening. You're going to hell and you deserve to go there. All of us do. The gospel service isn't just for the lost, it's for us here, for the man in the pulpit as well as for you in the pew, to remind ourselves of what we once were. None of us could transform our lives, none of us could change our circumstances, none of us could save ourselves, none of us could open up our own spiritual eyes or our ears or open up our own hearts. The Lord had to do it. We're all here by God's grace. But know what it says in the verse 15. Because it puts responsibility upon you as an individual. It says, about their eyes, they have closed. We have closed our eyes to the God of the Bible and to his creation that is around us. Now the scriptures, in speaking about the eyes, they are, they are used in a very peculiar sense. It's not really talking about the eyes that we have on our heads, the physical eyes that we use to see. It's talking about faith. And that's something that is highlighted time and time again in the scriptures, and that it is faith that he is speaking about here as, as he's talking about their sight. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, it tells us that we walk by faith, and the contrast is that we don't walk by sight, by our physical sight. In 1 Corinthians 4 in the verse 3 to 4, it says, about the gospel itself, if it be hid, it is hid unto them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. And so there is belief and blindness. They come together to show us that there is something that is described as sight, biblically and spiritually speaking, that is other than our two eyes in our heads. And it's talking about faith. And it goes on in 1 Corinthians 4 to say, lest the light of the gospel, the glorious gospel of Christ, who is image of God, should shine unto them. Hebrews 11 verse 6, again, speaking about faith. It says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's not talking about us looking all around the world as adventurers, trying to find every nook and cranny on this globe to see if we can find Jesus Christ. No, it's talking about seeking him with what we might call the eye of faith. By faith we behold him. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, by faith we are to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So the Christian's life and our heart should be impacted by this thing called faith. But it is impossible for all of us, to conjure up this thing called faith. It is given. It is a gift. You can't go home tonight and think to yourself, well, I know I have a problem. I don't have this faith that the preacher's talking about. So you go home and you maybe you read a, a hundred books on this topic of faith. You begin to write about faith. You begin to, to study it. You begin to maybe even ask, how can I get this faith that you're talking about? We cannot build it up. We cannot grow it in our houses. We can't just sort of have it in our minds conjured up. It is something that God must give. gives it graciously. 
Because this whole world, blind in our sin, God should have just left us to ourselves. God could have just left us in our blindness. God could have just left you and I with our eyes shut. But in mercy, he opens them. And in Acts chapter 26, I believe it is, we are told there especially, one of the reasons why, let's just turn there. Our time is really going away with me here tonight. But Acts 26, just turn with me to that passage. Acts 26 and the verse 18. We have the Apostle Paul giving an account of how he was converted and saved and speaking about the ministry that he was called to. What does he say in the verse 18 of Acts 26? He says, he was called to the Gentiles, called to serve, called to preach, called to be a witness, to be a minister. Why? To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Jesus Christ said those words to him. Jesus Christ called him to speak the gospel, to preach the gospel, that through the preaching of God's word that he might open your eyes. Don't stop coming to church because as of yet you're not a Christian. It is through the preaching of God's word it is sitting in pews just like this. It is the reading of the scriptures. It is somebody maybe sharing the gospel with you that God will use to open up your eyes. Is he doing that tonight for some sinner? Perhaps this evening it's as though the light has switched on. You've seen that maybe already that there's, there's something amiss with your experience thus far in your life. You know that you are not what you ought to be. You know that you deserve to go to hell. Perhaps God is opening up your eyes to that truth. Perhaps God is showing mercy to you. That you might see him, Jesus Christ, with that eye of faith. Stephen, just before he was killed in Acts chapter 7, we read about him looking up into heaven and seeing Jesus Christ. There's debates as to whether he physically saw him or not. But I believe the reason that there's so many debates about that is because Faith for a Christian is so real, so vivid. We might not be able to exactly picture the person of Jesus Christ as his disciples did when they walked alongside him on earth, but our faith ought to be so real that we truly believe him to be there, up in heaven, risen, resurrected, in a glorified body, conquering sin and Satan. We believe him to have been there after he had been three days in the tomb. By faith, we see him upon Calvary's tree. By faith, we see our own sins there. By faith, we witness his death as being the result of my own personal transgressions and my own guilt, a death which he died in my place. That is all by faith. And we see him by faith. But here tonight, it's more than just seeing that we need. You need to hear him. His voice must be heard. It's one thing to have faith and to be given this vision in the sense of Jesus Christ, to have a view of him, to recognize his value as your only hope. But God needs to speak to you. And again, he does it through the preaching of the word, through the scattering of the seed, but it's not my voice that opens up your ears. 
And it's not the voice of any other preacher that comes to this church or any other individual that tells you about the gospel. It is through the voice of Jesus Christ. And while we may not hear him audibly, again, this is a spiritual thing. Remember, a parable is throwing something alongside something else. That's what the word really literally means. Alongside throwing something. And what Jesus Christ is doing here, he takes a truth and he throws a human picture alongside it. And the truth of this passage is that we have spiritual ears that can hear God's voice. Not audible, not physical ears that will hear him speak, but spiritually we will hear him. We'll hear the voice of Jesus Christ. I wonder what Jesus would say to an individual such as you here tonight. We don't really need to wonder because he tells us over and over and over again in the scriptures, the light of the gospel, what he wants us to hear. Matthew 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Sinner, if you feel like you've never heard the voice of Jesus Christ before, if you feel like you don't have that faith to see him, then just simply, all I can do here tonight is all that any man can do, is read the light of the word to you. Mark chapter 1, the verse 15, Jesus Christ is described as coming in, and this is the very opening part of his public ministry. He begins to preach, and what does he say? The time is fulfilled. Time is running out, in a sense. Or the time has come, his appointment is due, where he is coming into the world to the forefront of his ministry, publicly at least, to preach, to proclaim the truth, to teach his disciples, to prepare them for his death. But ultimately what he's talking about is dying for your sins. And he says the time is fulfilled for him to come into this world, to suffer in the place of sinners, to to live for us, to die for us, to rise again from the dead for you as his people, that the kingdom of God, it is at hand. And what does he say to me and to you? And to everybody that heard him in his own day, repent ye, turn and believe those two things that we've said already are the gospel of, con- of, of, uh, of conversion. And this turning that we must do, you are to repent from your sin and you are to believe Jesus Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus Christ, his voice is heard through these words. Revelation 3 and the verse 20, Behold, he says, I stand at the door and knock. Contextually, he's speaking to his people. But if you look at the black and white on the page in Revelation 3 and the verse 20, it says, If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Sinner, if you've never heard the gospel before, if you've never heard Jesus Christ speak to you before, and if you still haven't heard him speak even in this meeting, all I can tell you to do is to read his word to read his cry that he seeks to compel you by, to come unto him, to repent, to believe him, to open your heart's door, and to ask him in, to invite him in as Savior. If you don't do that, you will remain unconverted, unchanged, never been transformed, still in your sin, still living for self, still running your own way, the pathway to destruction. Three things that you can do to remain in that condition. The first is to shut your eyes to the value of Jesus Christ for your soul. Shut your ears to the voice of Christ from his word. And finally, shut your heart to the life of Christ. A number of years ago, I was preaching on on really the theme, the topic of something that we tell our children to do. Ask Jesus into your heart. Ask him to come in. Ask him to save you. 
In Galatians 4 and the verse 19, the Apostle Paul, speaking to his congregation there, he, he recites to them and says that he, 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 prays, he prays that that Christ might be formed in them. That he might grow in you. Jesus Christ doesn't come into our hearts in some sort of, sort of fanciful way or some magical way. Remember one little boy thinking that Jesus Christ must be very small to fit in there. That's not what we mean when we ask Jesus into our heart. He comes in and he, in a spiritual sense again, he controls us, he's being formed in us, he's growing in us, he's conceived in us, and that life that is within us, it must, it must develop, it must increase, and we call that sanctification. Becoming holier and holier in our walk with God. But that's only for the child of God that is living for him. We're not talking about those that are converted tonight. We're talking about the heart of individuals that are still in sin. And there are three pictures that he uses in this passage. And let me just give you them under the, the, the titles I have for this evening. There are those that are described as having soilless hearts, where there is no soil for the seed to penetrate into. There are those that are described as having rootless hearts. Whenever the seed does begin to develop, develop in some way, the sun shines, there are some trials that appear, and those roots are scorched and burnt up, and they no longer grow. And there are those that are described as having fruitless hearts. And I have to say, in a gathering such as this, that is the one that scares me and terrifies me the most. Even standing in this pulpit, I have to ask myself the question, am I amongst that number? Yes, we might say that your heart has been shut because it is filled with sin. You don't have any concern. You're careless. And that's really the first picture. The seed is scattered upon the road or the pavement, you might say. And it has been trodden down. The birds come along and they devour it within a moment. For 15 years sitting in a man in a church, listening to my own father preach, I knew what that was like. The word of God to be preached, to be proclaimed, to hear it in my ears, physically speaking, to see the faith of those around me being lived out, to see something different about them, to somewhat in a certain degree believe the Bible. But time and time again when the word of God was being preached, whenever I heard that voice of Christ compelling me to come unto him, what happened? Because of my careless and soilless heart, the birds snatched it away. Satan devoured it up. Satan took it away out of the mind in a flash, in the blink of an eye, distracted by something else. In God's house tonight, what have you been distracted by? What is your mind focused on apart from Jesus Christ? If we think about it, and if you just pause for a moment, what else is more valuable to your soul than God's own son who died for your sins? And I lament the 15 years of my own life that I spent living for other things and the years even after that, whenever the heart becomes cold and we look to the things of the world and we listen to the preaching of God's word and at times we are convicted and we're compelled to do this, to say that, to live in such and such a way. But again, the seed is snatched up. God forbid that happens to you tonight and you leave this church on your way to hell once again. You must be transformed. You must be changed. And if you feel as though your heart has been like that, then beg the God of heaven to transform your heart because you cannot do it yourself. Soilless hearts. The seed is snatched away. Let me give you one verse if you feel like you're in that condition tonight. James 4 verse 7. Submit yourself there to, for to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God. Give your life to him. Rootless hearts. I remember sitting with a young man in my teens, and he's only a few years younger than me as well. 
speaking to him about the gospel and he had been coming to youth fellowship with us and he'd been in our group of friends for a, a decent period of time. He saw the gospel. He, he seemed to have the joy of the gospel. He was in, in, involved in the youth group. He was helping out in certain things. He would have been there at times. And he made a profession of faith on a Friday night, I believe, after youth fellowship. I remember speaking with him. And that same weekend, a few days later, his father was told that he had cancer. Never saw that young fellow in church again. No matter, no matter how many times you spoke to him about the things of God, or the gospel, he, he didn't want to hear it. Now, I don't know whether or not this is really a rootless heart in, as an example for me to show to you, but if he's not saved, then all I can say is it seems to me as though for a time there sprung up this little little small, frail item that we thought was faith. And you've seen it, haven't you? You've seen it in this congregation. You've seen it in the youth fellowship. You've seen it maybe even in your own children. Where for a time they made a profession of faith, but after high school, after university, maybe even in the midst of school, in the midst of university, maybe in the workplace, the wrong friends come along. And you begin to wonder, is that profession of faith real? Or is that a root that has been dried up and dead in sin? Maybe you've been living with that profession. And that's a difficult place to be. Again, I know from experience, I made professions of faith a number of times as a child. One time in particular, in 2003, I remember sitting in the prayer meeting, listening to dad preaching, but not hearing anything of what he was saying because I was convicted by sins that I knew I'd committed. And I prayed a prayer. But my thoughts on that occasion were, at this time anyway, I was more concerned about the repercussions of somebody finding out about my sins than the, than the pain that I'd caused Jesus Christ. I didn't care about him. You might be an individual and you've come to church and you're living the Christian faith alongside of your buddies and your family and your friends and individuals because you're all Christians together. But you know there's something different about you. You know that your heart hasn't really been changed. You know that you're here for the joys and for the thrills and for the benefits and for the blessings that come with being in Christian circles such as this. But whenever push comes to shove and whenever trials, which they will come, whenever they come, you're worried that your faith is just going to shrivel up and disappear and you'll be seen for what you really are. Again, cry out to God, have mercy upon me. If you're in such a condition. The final heart condition that I want you to see tonight is a fruitless one. And we've touched on this already. Verse 7 of our passage, it says that some fell among thorns and thorns sprung up and choked them. It goes on in verse 22 with the explanation. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Again, this is a message for the unbeliever, for the unconverted. But could that not be the testimony of some professing Christians here tonight? And don't we all need to stand back and ask ourselves the question, how much care and concern for the world around us has crept in in the past decade of my existence? Some of them legitimate. We all have bills to pay. We all have finances that need to be met. We all have riches that we desire and things that we would like in this world but have you been choked by them? Are you left unfruitful because of them? 
The Christian life is to be a fruitful life. It is to be a life of joy. It is to be a life of blessing. It is to be a life of, of achieving something and doing something for Jesus Christ. We're not just talking about souls being saved through your ministry. We're talking about fruitfulness in your own Christian character, in your experience. Maybe you need to have an honest conversation with your wives for the husbands here. Husbands, are we what we ought to be? Do we show the fruitfulness of being a Christian? We profess, we preach, we tell others about this great gospel message which we, we have in our hearts, but where's the fruitfulness? Where's the Christ-likeness? Where's the change? Where's the transformation? If you're sitting in church here this evening as a free Presbyterian, as a member of this congregation, even as a committee man, or perhaps even as an elder, or somebody that's involved in the church work, I'm not leaving anybody out of this. I don't care who you are or what you've done. I don't care if you stand on this pulpit and preach. From this pulpit here tonight to you in the pew, we need to search our hearts. And you need to be certain. You need to be certain of the hope that lies within you. That it's not in a little prayer that you prayed. That it's not in your repentance that is not in the greatness of your faith even though we've been talking about all of that this evening but it's in Christ your Christ if your Christianity and if your life is based on anything else but the value of Christ the voice of Christ and the life of Christ in your heart and in your soul then you're missing the entire point of what it is to be a Christian What sort of heart do you have? Verse 23. We'll read it and conclude here for our time as well gone. This is what we should be. We should be those that have received the seed. And that is something I believe that you have received tonight. You've received it, if not tonight, many other times in the past, if you've been in this house. The word of God has been preached. And I trust that it has found good ground here this evening. You've heard the word. We're to understand it. We're to bear fruit with it. Some might bring forth a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. But the bottom line is that there will be fruitfulness in the life of the professing Christian. Seek first the kingdom of God is what we're commanded to do by Christ. As we conclude, what is it? We've asked you already, but I'm asking again. What is it that is making you shut up your heart from Jesus Christ? What is it that is drowning out the voice of Jesus Christ in your ears? What is it that has caught your attention in this world? The riches or whatever it might be. What is it that has, has taken your eyes from off the Christ of heaven, and maybe it was even just for a moment, to glance down to the side. You've taken your eyes off him. You've shut your eyes, you've shut your ears, you've shut your heart. That's not one of the points tonight, but I trust that you won't leave the house of God this evening with your mouth shut, but you'd confess his name, that you'd call 
upon the name of the Lord. And that as you do so, that you will be saved. For Romans 10, verse 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they then call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Verse 17 and 18 goes on, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, truly, the sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the end of the world. The gospel has been heard in Coleraine for many years from this pulpit. Do not shut your ears to it. Call upon the name of the Lord tonight and ask him to save your never dying soul. Let us pray. And as you bow your head in his presence, do pray with us that God's voice would continue on to speak and to be heard. And he would not leave you to your own devices as you leave the house of God this evening. But you'll see the value of Christ to your soul. You'd hear the voice of Christ in your heart. And that you'd live in the victory of Christ, even as a Christian, in the days that lie ahead. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the light of thy word to our hearts. We're thankful that, Lord, even while we once were in darkness, that in mercy look down upon us. And, Lord, while we are not what we ought to be, even as believers, while our fruitlessness is something which we lament, we come to thee and we ask, oh, that you would transform our lives. You would change us. You would make us into what we ought to be. That everyone here that professes thy name, that they might begin to see true conversion in their life, true transformation, true repentance, true faith in Jesus Christ. And that we all might know what it is to follow even in our forefathers, the reformers, and to see that the just, that they shall live by faith and faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, it's in his name we pray these things. It's for his glory that we ask that you'd open up the hearts of the sinner. And that they might be, Lydia, might be like Lydia of old, changed and transformed whenever God does that work in their soul, which only he alone can do. Lord, we pray these things for the extension of thy kingdom and for the glory of thy king. Amen.